Hi there everybody and welcome to another episode of the Horror Crypt Podcast, episode number 26. Don't, 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 that time of the day that we actually start doing a little bit of horror movies and of course we are in october so october is as i said last episode the month for horror this movie really really surprised me it has a great twist at the end it's got some great jump scares um i just found this to be one of those little gems that a lot of people don't necessarily look for but when they find and they actually watch it they're like oh my god that was actually really really good this one is with John Cusack and also with, um, oh my God, Samuel L. Jackson. I almost had a brain fart there. The movie is 1408. Yes. Before I get started, though, I want to say that I'm on all social platforms, Instagram and Facebook at HorrorCryptOz, and you can also send me a direct message at HorrorCryptOz at gmail.com. Remember, the Oz at the end is a capital O and a capital Z. Yes. But in saying that, I think we should start with the trailer like we always do. So sit back, relax, and here it comes. You're not going anywhere. You're staying right here with us. Daddy, everyone dies. When Mike Ensling lost his daughter, the afterlife became his obsession. You probably want to hear all about our haunt history. But after years of searching, he no longer believes. So you're saying there's no such thing as ghosts? I'm saying I've never seen one. Nothing would make me happier than to experience a paranormal event. Gerald Olin, manager of the Dolphin. If I can just get the key to 1408. In the 95 years of the hotel's existence, there have been 56 deaths in 1408. 56? No one's ever lasted more than an hour. The first victims to Kevin O'Malley. Cut his own throat. Stay in that room. This is it. Hotel rooms are a naturally creepy place. It does have the vague air of menace. Nobody lasts more than an hour. You're gonna have to try harder, Owen! movie really surprised me when it first came out um, because the the actual visuals of the of the movie title really doesn't do a whole lot of justice because it's basically just John Cusack on one side Samuel L. Jackson on the other side and a key in the center and it really doesn't give you an o- overview of what the movie is all about 
but it was actually good enough that actually enticed me into having a look. So the movie goes for 104 minutes. It was released in June uh, 22 of 2007. It goes for, as it 104 minutes, $25 million was the budget, and it actually, the box I was taking was $133 million. So the beginning of this movie, you see it's raining, and uh, this car is pulling up to out the front of a, uh, what we assume is a, a house, but it actually ends up to be a hotel, but it's one of these bed and breakfast hotels. And this guy walks in and uh, basically says, you know, I'm here to check in. And they they basically tell him that, oh, okay, well, you're the, the writer. And he goes, yes, I'm Mike Enslin. I'm, I'm the, the writer. And, he, and of course, the other guy goes, well, I guess you'd love to hear the um, the, the tale of our haunted you know, hotel. And basically starts to tell him about, you know, a certain person's been hung here and this is happening. Anyway, Mike gets the room, uh, gets the room key and goes upstairs and it's supposed to be the room in which this person is, is, you know, the paranormal activity is the most concentrated. And it's where the person killed themselves. So Mike goes into the bedroom and, you know, shuts the door. And he's got this little routine where he gets a uh, an ashtray and puts a cigarette on it. He doesn't light it, just puts it there. Obviously, it's one of those things where it's like, if it really gets freaky during the night, then I've got the ability to come back and <laughs> smoke a cigarette to try and calm my nerves. Um, and he goes through the entire night, and no, there is nothing that happens. And I think a lot of this is, you know, people are really trying to find what is in the afterlife. Is there an afterlife? Do we just snuff out and it goes all black? Or do we become ghosts and haunt the places that we love to live in? Or do we go into another existence? Are we the souls of babies when they are first born? You know, you wonder why babies cry. Is this the fact that... We're the uh, souls of the other people have, you know, that we have passed over, come back and go. Oh my God, I got to do this thing all over again. They're crying because they don't want to do this. Who knows? But anyway, Mike, um, he's is a cynical skeptic, and he basically has written a book saying that you know he doesn't believe that these things are real. He's gone through very, very, um, you know, dedicated sort of like research, and he's gone to different places to see, you know, if there is the the whole thing of an afterlife. This is basically prompted by the fact that his daughter, um, Katie, actually passed away. She actually had uh, some sort of cancer and passed away at a very young age. So I think in this regard, he was really, he was searching. You know, he wants to be, he wants to believe. And he goes to a book signing and of course, you know, the people are saying, oh yeah, so, you know, you don't believe in ghosts, whatever. And he goes, well, I've, I've never seen one. And if, if I do get to see one, all the better. But right now, no, I I have never seen one. So he's still trying to find the reason for, for writing this book and really trying to find the reason to live, I guess. He's estranged from his wife, Lily, uh, after the death of their daughter. So Mike writes in the niche book, evaluating supernatural experiences and events in which he has no belief. After his latest book, he receives an anonymous postcard depicting the Dolphin, a hotel on Lexington, Lexington Avenue in New York City, bearing the message, don't enter 1408. Viewing this as a challenge, Mike arrives at the Dolphin and requests room 1408. So this is really interesting. So he, he's got this um, uh, post office box and he goes and collects his mail because obviously he, he travels quite a bit. So he has to have one central location. So he goes back and he opens up this um, you know, lock box and it's in a post office and he goes to a cafe and he's going through all his mail like we all get, you know, electricity, gas, telephone, whatever. Um, and he sees this, you know, this postcard saying don't enter room 1408 
And it, it sort of like, it stops him in his tracks. Because he's got other, you know, um, things that he's looking at. He's got pamphlets and brochures that have come through about haunted places and things like that. But this one really takes his interest. And he does turn it around and sees, you know, about this message. So he circles it as if to say, okay, challenge accepted. So he he begins to ring the dolphin. He rings the, the hotel and says, oh, I'd like um, to reserve a room. And they're like, absolutely. Which one would you like? And he goes, oh, well, I would like room 1408. And they're like, uh, yeah, no, I'm sorry, that's booked. And he goes, oh, interesting, because I didn't tell you what date I wanted to come in. And they said, okay, fair enough. What date would you like to come in? Um, maybe tomorrow. Nope, booked. What about next week? Booked. What about next month? Nope, booked. What about six months after that? Nope, booked. And he's like, seriously, you, I cannot have the room to, uh, the key to 1408. I can't get into 1408. And they're like, nope. No, it's it's all it's all fully booked. There is a reason behind this, but we'll get to that. So he hangs up the phone, but he's not defeated. You know, Mike is one of these guys where he's like, I'm undefeated about this situation. I'll go and find out what's going. You know, what's going on? Why can't I have room fourteen oh eight? He contacts his lawyer, and his lawyer says, um, "Listen, if this room is not occupied by law in New York, you have to get the key. They can't hold the room." Or they can't not have a room, you know, person occupied in that room. If you want the key, you should be able to get it. So he goes, cool, fine. He's armed with that information. So he goes to the hotel and he happens to run into the hotel manager, Gerald Gerald Owens, which is actually Samuel L. Jackson. But when he goes to the to the main concierge desk, he says, I'm here to check into room 1408. And they press a little button on the computer and it says, see manager before checking this guest in. So... Olin comes over, introduces himself on the manager of the Dolphin and takes him into his private office. And he says, listen, you know, why do you want the key to that room? And he says, well, you know, I'm Mike Enslin. And he goes, yes, okay, we know who you are. You want to, you, you, you know, you debunk haunted areas, but why do you want the key to 1408? And he goes, because I believe there is nothing in that room. And he says, well, yeah, there is. And he goes, well, then let me prove it. Let me just get the key to 1408. And he says, uh, and Olin says to him, listen, how about I give you a penthouse suite? And he goes, nope, I want 1408. And he goes, how about I give you, you know, a couple nights free? No, I want the key to 1408. And he goes, seriously, I I cannot persuade you not to go in there. And he's like, no. And he goes, okay, well, I'm going to give you some background information. He says, um, you know, there's been 56 deaths in that room since the beginning of uh, that it's, the hotel's been open. And he goes, really? And he's got all these documented files about who's killed themselves in that room or there's been certain situations in that room. And he goes, so we don't rent this room to anybody. And he goes, okay, well, so then that means that the bedding and everything hasn't been changed in the longest time. And he goes, oh, no. And Olin says to him, no, no, no. Uh, We always give us a light turning during the day, you know, once a week, you know. But we always make sure that the, the door is open and people go in there two at a time, you know, like, you know, a, a cleaner and someone else to look after them. And he's like, okay, well, that sounds fair. And he goes, yeah, but the last time that we had a maid go into that room for a light turning, she came out deaf. And he's like, uh-huh, really? And he's like, yeah, so you can understand my my concern that you want to go into the, this room. And he says, well, I'm still going to go in. And he says, well, no one's ever lasted more than an hour in that room. And he goes, why? What's what's so bad that's in this room? And he goes, well, I'd much rather you not find out, Mr. Enslin. 
And uh, he goes, well, no, I'm still going in. He attempts to discourage him. He explains to Mike that in the last 95 years, no one has ever lasted more than an hour in 1408. 56 deaths. Now, if, if, if you go to a hotel and, you know, you hear this, are you really going to go and go head first and charging into that room? I don't know. I mean, I, I love the paranormal as much as, you know, I guess a lot of people do. I'm very fascinated with it. I grew up in a, um, I don't want to get too into everything, but I did grow up in a house that was haunted. It was haunted by a very, um, not, I wouldn't say mischievous spirit, but a, but a very uh, vengeful spirit, let's put it that way. And there's there's more to this story. But just to say that I'm definitely a firm believer in the supernatural because I've experienced it. I've had experiences myself. I've even gone into um, an old lunatic, lunatic asylum that used to be here in uh, South Australia. And uh, I did the tour on Zed Ward, which is where they used to hold the worst of the worst and I experienced several things in in that area so I do actually believe that there is an afterlife and I think most of us would really want to believe that there is an afterlife that when we pass on um, we either go on to a, another plane or I don't know I I would like to think maybe we go on to another plane of existence I know for me I'd love to be a mischievous ghost that just hang around, hangs around the house and messes with people not to hurt them and not to scare the sh living shit out of them but just to be, you know, just to play with them. I think that's my, my nature. <laughs> I'd love to do something like that. So anyway, Olin attempts to dissuade and bribe Mike, but Mike insists, threatening legal action against the hotel. So the preparations are reluctantly made. So he basically says, okay, well, listen, you know, I'm not going to give you the room key. And Mike does say, as I just said, okay, well, if you don't give it to me, then I am going to have legal action against this hotel. And he's like, okay, fine. You win, Mike. You win. That's fine. I am going to you give you the key. And he opens up the a lock box and there is an old-fashioned brass key. And Mike says, really? An old-fashioned key? No card or whatever? And he goes, um, yeah, for some reason, electronics don't work in that room. And he's like, uh, what? You, you can't have a regular key, like key card to get it? And he's like, nope, doesn't work. Um, he said, we've got, a, you know, a, a clock radio in that room and stuff like that. But actually... On the door and near the door, no, it doesn't work. So he's like, okay, fair enough. So Olin takes him upstairs to 1408 and they're nearing the, the door and uh, Mike's heading towards the door, I should say. And he looks back and, and Olin's is not there behind him. And he, he walks back a little bit and there's Olin's standing in the um, in the elevator and says to him, uh, so aren't you coming? And he goes, uh-uh, no way. I'm not getting anywhere near that room. This is as far as I go. You want to enjoy yourself? Go ahead. So anyway, you know, and you, with all this that's going on, you almost expect that there's going to be something terrifying when you open up that door. Mike goes to the door, opens it up, and <laughs> turns on the light and basically says, wow, this is it. Like, this is the big, big reveal. It looks like a regular everyday room. Mike actually brings some rather interesting uh, tools of the trade, which we'll get into as we go along. So he takes his mini, mini cassette recorder out in the room and appear, the room appears boring. He basically sits on the bed and he's like, okay. And he starts to basically describe, because he's going to write another book, but he's just describing exactly how this room looks. And he's like, okay, there's this painting of a ship, pretty standard in a hotel room. There's another picture of, you know, a hunting party. Again, pretty standard. Um, and we've got mints on the, on the, um, um, on the pillows. I don't know why you'd have mints on the pillows. No one's staying in there. There's an interesting scenario. Why would you have mints on the pillow if no one checks into 1408? 
Who knows? He goes into the bed. He goes in the bathroom and checks all that out and goes into sort of like a, an off living area. And there's a couple more pictures. Nothing really amazingly terrifying. And uh, <laughs> he walks past the bed because he's, he's already opened up one of the chocolates and he's eaten one of the chocolates. And he goes um, into the bathroom again, comes out, and there's another chocolate sitting on the bed. And he's like, oh, wow, this is a pretty good turndown service. You get an extra mint on the bed. And uh, so he takes the second one, but he, he goes into the bathroom and he takes, he rips off a bit of the toilet paper and folds it into like a V-shape to see if there's anyone that's actually going to be in this room with him. And uh, walks back into the living room, looks around, carpet's nondescript, you know, looks out the window, yeah, there's a view of New York, goes back and goes back in the bathroom and the toilet paper that was in a V has been ripped off and it's now folded and looks nice. And that was at that moment that, you know, you seem to think that maybe something's going on, maybe someone's running into the room doing this, you know, while Mike's nowhere, nowhere near. And he, he actually even says, you know, good one, Olin's, you know, it's great that he, great you're trying to, you know, scare me out of this, but it's not going to, not going to work. So he lays on the bed and he gets his, you know, mini cassette recorder and he's still talking about what's going on. And then suddenly the um, clock radio next to him blasts out with, we've only just begun by uh, the Carpenters. And, of course, the digital display changes to a countdown clock starting from 60 minutes. Mike begins to see ghosts of the room's victims. But before this, before this, he picks up the, the alarm clock and he goes, OK, so no one's ever lasted more than an hour in this room. He undoes his bag and he's got a black light. And he goes around the room, he turns the lights off and he goes around the room looking. And you can see that this room is not very clean at all. There was a... Uh, uh, blood splattering against the wall where someone had put a shotgun or a gun into their mouth and pulled the trigger. There was someone had killed themselves in a bathtub, so you've got the um, re residual blood stains in there. Um, parts of the carpet, there's blood stains. There's blood stains on the on the roof, or sorry, on the ceiling. Um, you know, into the 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 area where they sit. So there's a lot of blood stains all over the place, and even on the bedding, which is even more disgusting, is that he, he flushes the black light over the the bed. And sees that there is blood stains over the bed. So I was like, oh, disgusting. I've got to lay in this. You know, you haven't even cleaned this probably. Or maybe even get rid of the entire thing altogether. And get me a new lot of bedding. Like, oh, how disgusting. But I'll tell you what. I think if all of us took a black light with us into any place we've actually um, stayed at for a while. Or, you know, into a hotel room. I think we'd probably, probably throw up. Because it's probably disgusting what they've got there. And we probably don't want to even want to know about it. So... My advice to everyone, don't take a black light with you. You'll find out things that you just don't want to find out about. I tell you, this is a really great psychological movie. There is jump scares, as I said at the beginning of this podcast in this movie, but there, the psychological part is really quite intense, and it really makes you start to question what Mike's seeing because he's going around the room, and you know, you've got the countdown clock going and the only just begun music playing, and um, he starts to see what he said it almost looks like a person on from a television set that's walking towards the open window and jumps out and it's like uh, and he does have that look like oh my god like did i just see what i thought i saw and he starts to see things that just don't make sense like he goes to the open window and he opens it up and of course he sees across the way this guy looking at him and he waves at him but of course the guy waves back but it's it's basically mike waving at mike himself and he sees in the um, window across from him that this guy, who, who's you know, essentially him, has been hit on the back of the head by something that's knocked him 
has been knocked out. He turns around and there's this guy standing there and swings at him to knock him out. Of course, this, this makes Mike fly backwards and, you know, land against the wall. And he's like, holy shit. So it's almost like at this moment, um, yeah, I, I certainly believe something's going on. So he picks up the receiver of the phone and, of course, hits uh, the uh, the front desk. And they're like, oh, would you like to check out of room 1408, Mr. Enslin? And he's like, no, nope, I'm fine. I just wanted to let you know that things are happening in here, but I'm not going to go anywhere. Thank you. And, of course, hangs up the phone. All the things are starting to happen in this room. There are people attacking him. There is, you know, things that just don't make sense. And, of course, for a person that's been wanting so desperately to, to see the supernatural and experience it, now it's happening. It's almost like, yeah, I was actually wanting to see it, but now I don't want to see it, so I'm, I'm happy just to leave it, leave it be, and just go about my way. Things start to really increase in with, with Mike, and he's like, you know what? I am actually probably a good idea that I'm actually out of here. So he grabs his bag, grabs his black light, grabs the key, puts the key into the door to unlock the door, and the key breaks off, and the key that w the part of the key that would open, actually open the door is sucked out through the door to the outside. So now he is trapped. He can't leave, and he tries, but he, he just can't. He just can't get out of the room. Mike uses his la laptop to call Lily, asking for help. Now, this is where the room starts to really um, react to him in a really bad way. So, he grabs the laptop, and he's laying down on the... Well, he's sort of like laying down on the ground, and he, he types to Lily, his ex-wife, and he's, he's basically trying to tell her, please, come, I'm in trouble. You know, I'm in New York, and, you know, I'm in deep shit. You've got to come to the Dolphin. And she's like, oh, that's really nice, Mike. You, you know, you only need me, you know, when you really do need me. And you're at the Dolphin. You're in, you're in New York. Exactly. Why are you there? And he's like, I'll tell you all about it later. But please, I need your help. Please get the authorities. Someone, please come to room 1408. This is, at this moment, the sprinkler system short circuits his laptop. So it busts open, water everywhere, and bzz, there goes his laptop. It's, it's fried. Or so we think. A little bit of foreshadowing there. But... We'll, we'll get to it. Before this, the room is rather warm. So he calls down to maintenance and he says, listen, I want someone to come up to room 1408 to actually help me put the air conditioner on because it's really warm in this room. So with everything that's going on and all the ghosts that are starting to come out on in this room, he hears a knock on the door. And now this time the door unlocks and he can actually open the door. This is before he wants to leave, by the way. And uh, this, this maintenance guy is standing basically in the doorway. And he goes, yep, what do you need? And he goes, well, if you'd like to just come into the room, um, I just need you to get the air conditioning working. Go, working. And he's like, well, I'm not getting in that fucking room at all. I'm not coming in there. And he says, listen, it's not rocket science of how to get this done. It's not that hard. Just, you know, see that little panel? Take that panel off. And he's like, okay, I've done that. And he goes, and see the little um, crystal in the center? Just give that a tap, and it should start working. And, of course, Mike does it, and the air conditioning starts. And he goes to turn around to the guy to say, thank you very much, but he's gone. And uh, so Mike goes to the door, looks out down the corridor, and, of course, there he is walking very fast away from that from that room. Can you imagine if you were in, say, room 1409 and 14... Or, sorry, yeah, 1409 and 1407, and this guy's in 1408? I mean, it's just... Ugh, yeah. Send shivers down the spine. <laughs> anyway, so the room temperature drops to sub-zero when the laptop suddenly begins to work again. And, of course, Mike... Now, when I say to sub-zero, it's basically like icicles in there. It's freezing. 
and Mike's basically, you know, it's almost like he's feeling that he's he's dying at this moment because he's so he's trapped in this room. He can't get out. He thinks the laptop's been been fried, and so but suddenly he hears you know this voice over the um over the laptop, and he opens it up, and there is his wife or his ex wife Lily on the thing, and she says, um, you know, what's going on? And he's trying to tell her that you know this is all happening. Then of course suddenly a doppelganger of Mike appears in a video chat window, and urges Lily to come to the hotel room by herself. Um, it gives Mike a sly wink, as if to say, I'm going to get you. And of course, Mike's trying to say, no, 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 Lily, don't come to the room. <laughs> don't come to the room. Stay out of the room. Just just, just don't come to the hotel. But of course, this little double, doppelganger that gives him this little, sly little wink um, is basically saying, yeah, she's coming, and I'm going to trap her in this room as well. The room shakes violently, and Mike breaks a picture of a ship in the storm. Now, this is really interesting. Because as the room is shaking, um, a lot of the pictures are basically turning, you know, into different sort of scenarios. So with the ship, you've got it. It's almost it was in a, on a calm line of body of water. This is now in a full blown storm. He looks over at the hunting party, and the faces of the hunters have all become demonic and very, very evil. And the dogs are ripping apart a sheep, and there's blood and everything everywhere. So this room is basically really. Um, reacting to Mike and he he sees the, the the painting and of course as the the room's shaking the, suddenly there's a whole lot of wind and everything going on and it, it's almost like he's in the bow of the ship and he grabs a um, a candlestick holder and he smashes it against the the uh, glass of the of the painting obviously I guess to try and get you know break or whatever and this huge body of water comes flooding into the room and before this had all happened, Mike's a very keen surfer, and he actually wiped out uh, on a beach. So as this water comes flying over and flooding the room, he surfaces on the beach, on the beach that he, he actually um, was wiped out of. <laughs> and um, yeah, he obviously re- relives the, the surfing accident that he surfing accident that he had. His life continues from this point, and he reconciles with Lily, which you think, okay, interesting. So we've gone from being in this room where ghosts and ghouls and everything are attacking you. Now you've hit this painting and you've flooded the room and now you've surfaced, resurfaced on the beach where you had the surfing accident. You get out of the water, everything's fine. You know, people help you out. Uh, you're now seen outside and, and you're now talking to Lily. And she's like, what happened at the dolphin? And he's like, I felt like I was drowning. Like I, as is not drowning, you know, as in, you know, I'm drowning because I can't swim, but drowning as in I was trapped in this room. I was drowning emotionally. I was drowning physically. I couldn't get out of this room. It would not let me out. And she's like, well, you're fine now. And he's like, yeah, I'm, I just barely survived. But I don't know how I ended up here on, on the beach, you know, what had happened. But uh, you think to yourself, okay, so was this all a dream? Did he actually go to the dolphin? And did he experience all this? Well... We'll find out. Assuming his experience in 1408 was just a nightmare, Lily encourages him to write a book about it. Now remember, he goes to the post office to pick up his mail. And at this stage, he goes into um, the post office and he goes to his, his post box and he's actually you know, going, taking all this stuff out. And one of the guys behind the counter um, says, oh, I'll see you next week, Mr. Enslin. He's like, yep, no problems. You know, he's very nonchalant about it. Um, 
When visiting the post office, he sent it to send the manuscript he's been working on to the publisher. He recognizes members of the construction crew as Dolphin Hotel staff. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden, the employees destroy the post office walls, revealing that Mike is still trapped in the rubble of 1408. This is where it's like, oh my God. Like, really? Like, because you don't see this coming, you know, because because he's wiped out, he's, you know, there's a flood of the bedroom, he's resurfaced on the beach, and now, and then he was, went out with his ex-wife, and he's talking to her, and having a meal, whatever, and, you know, he's out in the beautiful sunshine, he's got, you know, nice new clothes on, and he's just basically living his life, and he's, like, he was saying, as he was saying to her, you know, it was, it just felt so real, this experience has changed me to such a degree that I want us to reconcile, I know the death of Katie was very, very hard on both of us, and he, it ended our relationship, but I want us to rekindle, we are a family, you know, we, we need each other, and, you know, I felt like I was drowning in this room, because I couldn't get out, and everything was happening to me, and I can, I now understand that I'm going to put this part of my life to the, to the back burner, and I'll start, I want to start living my life, and, you know, you think to yourself, oh, thank God, like, Mike is now, he's out of that situation, he's going to reconcile with, with Lily, and it's all wonderful, yeah, until, <coughs> pardon me, until these guys start busting down the, the walls and smashing everything up. And then suddenly the room flips, you know, around. And there is Mike, poor old Mike, standing in the middle of this room 1408 in the middle of rubble and absolutely everything. So you can certainly see that at this moment, you know, when Mike is transferred back into the room 1408, he's got that look on his face like, I'm losing my mind. Like, this is serious. I'm, I'm going to lose it. And when he is transformed, transformed back into 1408, it's still ice cold. It's like absolutely freezing. And he hears Lily's voice on the, uh, on the computer. And he opens it up. And I don't know how this computer is still working. But he opens it up and he says, um, please, please, you know, Lily, help me. I need to get out of this room. Did you, you know, please come. And she said, well, hang on a minute. She said, I sent people to room 1408. They're in room 1408 right now. It's empty. And he's like, what? And she's like, it's empty. There's nobody in that room. Where are you? And he says, I'm in room 1408. And she said, no, that's impossible. There is people in that room right now. The police are in there. Olin's in there. Everyone's in there. And there is no... Where are you? And he's like, and he's trying to explain to her, for God's sakes, I am in room 1408. Right at that moment, Katie's ghost confronts him. And when the countdown ends, the room is suddenly restored to normal. And he's standing like in the middle of the room. And there's no water anywhere. There's no ice anywhere. He's just standing in a room that is completely, it hasn't been touched. It's like he's just walked into the room. The laptop is fine. Everything is okay. It's, it's like he's just zip, transferred back into the where he was to begin with. And then, of course, the clock radio again sets itself to 60 minutes. And we've only just begun. By the carpenter starts playing again. This is when he's like, I've, I'm losing my mind. I can't, I can't do this anymore. The hotel operator, because the phone rings, calls Mike. Mike asks why he hasn't been... So, like, he picks up the phone, and this this lady on the other end goes, uh, Mr. Enslin, why haven't you been killed yet? And she informs him that guests enjoy free will. So it's almost like this room is daring him to kill himself, you know. Um, he, can, he can relive the past hour over and over again, or use their express checkout system. A hangman's noose appears... But he refuses to give in because at that moment he looks over to where the sitting room is and there's a, hang, a hangman's noose sitting there. 
and he has a quick flash of him hanging himself. And he's like, nope, no, not going to happen. And it's almost like, okay, so you're going to be in, trapped in this room for all eternity. You're going to relive the same 60 minutes over and over again. You can't get out. He, he's already tried. He tried to get out of the um, out of the, the window to try and walk over to the opposing window of the next room. But that didn't work because the hotel stretched the room out. So there was no way in hell he was actually going to get anywhere near escaping. So he's got no other option. He's tried to go up the ventilation shaft to get out that way. And he encountered something up there, which I'm not going to tell you about. You have to watch this movie to find out. Um, so he can't, he can't leave this room. So deciding to quit running, Mike improvises a Molotov cocktail and sets the room on fire. This is actually really quite cool. Mike breaks a window, causing a backdraft. He then lies down and laughs in victory while he's smoking the cigarette because he actually says, he actually gives all the places that he visits a rating scale. One being, you know, one is like, oh yeah, radio, to 10 being the most terrifying place he's ever experienced. He gives the dolphin, and in particular, room 1408, 10. And he's got this Molotov cocktail and he goes, I hereby give this room an official 10 out of 10 for the most terrifying place I've ever experienced and throws the Molotov cocktail against the wall. The place is going up in, in flames. He grabs the cigarette that he's always got handy, lights it up, starts smoking it, and then at that moment he breaks the window, and as I said, and a huge explosion happens, levels the room, and causes him to be killed in that room. Olin, in his office, praises Mike for his actions. Now, you think that's the end of the movie? Oh, no, 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 this is not. We'll go into the um, the, the the original theatrical ending. Um, there are actually three endings to this film, in addition to the ending that appears in the theatrical release. Um, the two others or the uh, two other alternate endings were shot. The incentive for this was based on the director's belief that King's intention, because this is a Stephen King movie, um, in his original short story, was to leave the conclusion ambiguous. None of none of the three endings match the endings of King's original short story, though. So, so in the um, the actual ending of this movie, um, rather interesting how they set this one up. So you see that Mike is, obviously he's being killed, and Olin goes to the funeral. And there's Lily, and there is um, Olin at the funeral. And uh, for some reason, Olin's got a box of Mike's belongings, cassette recorder, you know, anything that hasn't been incinerated in this room, he's got. And he goes to Lily and says to Lily, listen, you know, I'd like to give this to you, this is Mike's stuff. And she says, no, no, I, I don't want it, not not interested, thank you very, very much. And uh, so he, you know, takes it with him, gets into the car, and he sees his tape recorder, and he turns it on, and he's listening to, you know, Mike talking over this. And it just becomes, I don't even know how this thing survived. Anyway, it becomes a bit garbled. And he turns it off. And he looks in the back of the rear view mirror. And there is a burnt mic sitting in the back of the car. He immediately looks very startled and looks in the back of the seat again. And Mike's not there. And he's like, oh, for the love of God. You know, seriously, I'm, I'm jumping at shadows. The camera then pans back to the Dolphin Hotel where you see Mike standing in a room that is completely obliterated. Um, in spirit form, obviously, and he's standing there having a cigarette, looking out the window. And then all of a sudden, you see his daughter, Katie, walking towards him and says, you know, Daddy, come on, we've got to go. And 
he grabs a hold of her hand and they walk towards the door of the of the the room door of the dolphin and of course they evaporate and then you see the door slam shut and then you see the number of the room 1408 and that's the end of the movie so in the director's cut we've got a couple of other different ways that they actually ended this so in the original discarded ending had mike dying in the fire but happy to see the room destroyed during mike's funeral olin approaches lily and mike's publisher sam farrell he unsuccessfully attempts to give her the box of mike's possessions as i said including the tape recorder olin claims that the room was successfully destroyed and that will no longer hurt anyone else he later listens to the recording in his car and becomes upset when he hears katie's voice on the tape he sees the little girl walking on the cemetery grass behind the car in a dress, calling out as if she's lost. He then sees Mike's burnt corpse in the back seat. He then seems, sees the same girl holding hands with her father as they walk away. Olin places the tape recorder back in the box and drives off. The final scene of the, of the gutted room where an apparition of Mike is looking out the window while smoking a cigarette, as I said. He hears his daughter calling for him. They disappear, they disappear as he walks towards the door, a door is heard closing, closing, and the scene fades. This ending is the default ending in the Blu-ray edition. Now there's a different, there's a different um, ending on this one. Though, so the theatrical one was Mike survives, and he and Lily reconcile. Though Lily is skeptical of, of, experience, of his experience, she finds a box of Mike's possessions that were rescued from 1408, and Mike takes the damaged mini-cassette recorder from it saying, sometimes you can't get rid of bad memories, you've just got to live with them. Mike briefly tampers with the recorder, making it work. Again, suddenly they hear Katie's voice coming from it, confirming Mike's account. Okay, that's ending two. This is probably the one that I actually I wouldn't have actually minded seeing, but unfortunately they didn't do this one. So Mike dies in the fire. Instead of the funeral scene from the director's cut, the sound of a funeral are dubbed over the shot of Los Angeles. Lily and Sam sort through Mike's effects. Sam returns to his New York office and discovers the manuscript that Mike wrote while he was in room 1408. As Sam reads the story and the audio from Mike's experience, in the room is heard. In the final scene, Sam's office door slams shut and Mike's father, his, his voice, says as i was you are as i am you will be and yet in another and another version this is probably the one that i actually really wanted to, to see but they never filmed this one and yet another version mike and lily are in an, in an in an apartment sometime later as mike finishes the manuscript the opening to the scene explains that katie had saved him lily wants to destroy his dictaphone as it smells of smoke, Mike says no and plays the tape which, as with the theatrical version, as both Mike and Katie's voice, Lily drops the box as she's holding, as she hears the voices. So she actually hears her daughter's voice and that actually would have been an awesome ending to the movie. But the one they did actually wasn't too bad. But yeah, I actually didn't mind this this uh, this ending at all. So in a, in a rating between 0 to 5 movie rules, 0 being... How do I get the last two hours of my life back? To five being it's a perfect movie and I'd watch this immediately again. Again, I'll give it a solid three. It had some great jump scares. Very, very um, entertaining. And because it was a, th is a psychological thriller and it really keeps you guessing throughout the movie. Um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed this one. And it was, as I said, it was one of those movies where I don't watch it all the time. But when I do get a chance every now and again 
yeah, I actually really do enjoy this one because it does give you that that uh, psychological edge that uh, some horror movies don't have. This one, it really does. So as per usual, we're going to have Paul's Fun Facts. Okay, so bear with me because this movie has actually got quite a lot of great fun facts and there's uh, pretty interesting ones that I can say. So in the movie, Mike Enslin says to his recorder, hotel rooms are just naturally creepy places, don't you think? I mean, how many people have slept in that bed before you? How many of them were sick? How many of them were maybe losing their mind? Stephen King wrote this in an explanation note of 1408 in his compilation of books and short stories. That's rather interesting. Didn't know that one. This one's actually a really good one. So, in its standard edition, the DVD runtime is exactly 104 minutes and 8 seconds, referring directly to the movie's title. This also makes the DVD stop precisely playing at 14408 again, referring to its title. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I just didn't think of that one. Um, at one point of the movie, Mike wears a hat that says, Paranoia is total awareness. This is a nod to one of Stephen King's favourite quotes, Perfect paranoia is perfect awareness. That's, I like that one. And one of the first victims of the room was named Grady. Grady was also the character in The Shining. <laughs> and that was written, and obviously, by Stephen King. So that's that's another interesting little thing. I didn't even think about that when I heard it, because you're so engrossed in the movie, you don't think to yourself, oh, hang on, Grady, that sounds very much like um, the other guy in Stephen King's movie, The Shining. But, wow, I like that one. So a couple more before we end the podcast. So while staying the night in room 1408, Mike goes through anger, denial, depression, bargaining and acceptance, all of which are the five stages of grief in that order. 1408 has many grief themes, especially revolving around Mike's daughter and him trying to run away from his own grieving process by traveling, abandoning, abandoning Lily and writing books that debunk the supernatural faith of his readers. And I actually meant to say, goes through denial, anger, depression, bargaining, and acceptance. All of which are the five stages of grief in that order. I'm sorry about that one. Um, and this is a really interesting one just to finish off. So due to alleged paranormal activity, the Emily Morgan Hotel in San Antonio, Texas, has sealed one of their rooms. Funny enough, the room number, 1408. There we go. So thank you once again for listening to this episode of the Horror Crypt Podcast. Remember, I'm on all social platforms and media. I hope you've enjoyed this episode, and I hope that you come back to listen to the next episode. Have a great week, and as I say, as I always do at the end of this podcast, I'll creep you later. Mm-hmm.